the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, thank you, sir, and a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome to the 21st of March. Here we are, and another show underway. Got a great program planned for you. Later on tonight, we're going to be joined by a KFAX favorite. June Hunt will stop by for a visit. She, of course, from Hope for the Heart broadcast. She's got a new book out dealing with the terrible twin topics of envy and jealousy. And we'll get to that conversation a little bit later on in tonight's program. Also, before we meet our first guest, I want to remind you, Good Friday. I realize it's a ways off, but we are trying to get some real interest stirred in coming together for a community-wide Good Friday service in Oakland at Oakland City Hall there at Number 1 Frank Ogawa Plaza on, of course, Good Friday, April the 19th at 11.30 a.m. Churches from throughout the greater Oakland area will be gathering, and we'd love to just see a huge show of support, folks coming out to uh, uh, be a part of this very special Good Friday community-wide service Bishop Bob Jackson from Axville Gospel Church uh, will be involved, along with a number of other uh, leading churches in the greater Oakland area. So uh, if you work in the Oakland area or um, within your travels or are close to there on Good Friday, April the 19th at 1130 a.m., we hope you'll drop by and uh, we'll ask Bob Jackson to join us a little bit later on, um, maybe tomorrow to uh, talk more about this special event. Okay, with that underway, let's uh, let's get into some other news here tonight. Um, very fascinating appeals court decision handed down on Tuesday that will essentially say taxpayer funding to Planned Parenthood is not, repeat, not some sort of a constitutional obligation. Let's get details now. Brian Johnston joins us, National Regional Director, rather, with the National Right to Life Committee. And, uh, Brian, some potentially far-reaching implications um, if, indeed, this appeals court ruling um, is allowed to stand. Tell us exactly what it encompasses and why this could be so critically important. It is critically important, and it's a reminder, Craig, as you know, that there there are states out there, unlike California, there are states out there that have lawmakers and then have the benefit of judges that uphold common sense. Really what's at stake is this. While there may be, under Roe v. Wade, a, quote, right to an abortion, um, and so this has an affected Roe, what's very clear, there's not a right to have the government pay for it. And that is critically important if you think about cars. You have the right to own a Cadillac. It doesn't mean that the government has to buy you one. And you get to choose the kind of car you get to buy. So you have the right to make that choice of owning an automobile, and that'll be upheld. But what can't be upheld, hopefully, unless we do become a socialist nation, 
is the idea the government's going to buy you your car. And so this actually has to do with common sense. This is actually setting aside for a moment the humanity of that child. This is the role of government in funding this. And so this is a common sense decision. Now, actually, when Governor DeWine, DeWine upheld it and it went to, he signed it and it went to the court, um, they ruled against him and they made it, uh, they, they referred it to what's known as en banc, uh, where three judges of that court then heard it and they ruled against the state, say, no, the state has to fund this. It went then to the entire Sixth Circuit, and they upheld the right of the state to say, no, we don't have to give our money to Planned Parenthood. This is significant because what it also reflects are the kind of judges that President Trump is appointing, judges that uphold constitutional principles. And that's what's exciting. This will likely be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court if they grant cert, if they do hear it, they're going to likely find the same conclusion, that there might be a right to an abortion. There is not a right or a duty for the government to have to buy every abortion and pay for it. So it's, it's a common-sense ruling, and it's very encouraging, and uh, it likely will continue. It, it'll be upheld uh, because this is an appellate ruling, and the only court above it is the U.S. Supreme Court, and if it goes there, I'm pretty sure it's going to be upheld. So yeah, given the makeup of the current court, uh, they they would certainly be in for an interesting challenge if they tried to uh, somehow vacate uh, Tuesday's decision. Do you get the sense? Let, let's assume that they either don't try to challenge it to the Supreme Court, but if they do, and it is indeed upheld by the Supreme Court, that this is going to open up a floodgate for the opportunity of addressing this issue of taxpayer-funded abortions then across the country? It will. And there are states that are that are passing these measures, and we're going to see them upheld, uh, at least in those regions of the country. We're in California. By the way, I'm sitting I'm back east now. I'm, at, I'm in D.C. for the National Right to Life Board meeting. Uh, and I'm encouraged. I, I won't go. I can't go into details, but I will tell this. I'm, I'm not shining my shoes, but I met with presidential staff today. They asked me to come by to talk policy. We are looking at a dramatic change in the direction of our nation, and you know that our opponents are very, very upset. We're in a battle of ideas, and it's a very real battle. But you're seeing good policies come out of this White House and this administration, and uh, regardless of his personality, I'm not talking about the nature of his personality, the policy people he has put into place are extraordinary. They actually believe in the American Constitution. It's really encouraging. The problem we have in California is on the federal level for California, we're part of the Ninth District, the very famous Ninth Circus, the Ninth Circuit, the Ninth Circus Court of Appeals. <laughs> And uh, unless there's changes there, uh, we're going to have a hard time. And, of course, we Californians, we know you and I have commiserated that currently with our current governor and the one-party system in California, we know this, the Democrats. This is not the JFK Democrats. This is not your parents' Democrat Party. This is the most radical Democrat Party our nation's ever seen. And we're seeing even worse examples now. On the abortion issue, clearly the post 
birth abortions that they're embracing. It's phenomenal. But they're showing their true colors, and all. for Californians, all we can do is hope that people will wake up, that the, the, the Democrats that put them in place realize, wait a second, these people are not. They're not what I thought the Democrat Party was about. So it's, it's a harder for us in California. We've got further to go. But for the rest of the nation, we are seeing a change. People are waking up, and it's common sense law. It's the Constitution, the constitutional principles are being asserted, and uh, we know that there's a fight against that by the dominant media culture, by our ideological opponents. They'll throw everything at you and me, and people who of faith who want to assert what is self-evident truths. They'll throw everything at them to stop this. But the facts will stand if we're willing to stand for it. And again, as this Supreme Court, I'm sorry, the the appeals court decision uh, underscores, uh, and that is that private organizations such as Planned Parenthood do not have a constitutional right to government funding to support abortion activities. This is the decision handed down on an 11 to 6 basis by the... Federal Appeals Court regarding the case out of Ohio and uh, encouraging to see the uh, the, the uh, Sixth Circuit to hand down this decision. And if it is challenged to the U.S. Supreme Court, we've never been better poised to get a win than we are today. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee back there in the nation's capital right now. And more information available on the web at nrlc.org. All right, at 5.15, we're going to get an update for you on traffic. Let's head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and say good afternoon to Nick Domenici with the latest. Nick? me I sometimes wonder if the spell that I'm under can only be a melody uh, yes indeed big hit for Frankie Lane in 1951 but not a big hit if you are in fact under the spell of jealousy and the terrible twin of envy those two combined have done more to damage more relationships, ruin more lives. And yet, sadly, oftentimes, it's difficult for us to get that so-called green-eyed monster off our back. Dealing with this topic from a biblical perspective, we're joined by a well-known voice to the KFAX audience, June Hunt, host of the Hope for the Heart broadcast, of course, a best-selling author, many, many books to her credit, most recently as she deals with the topic of Envy and Jealousy, Taming the Terrible Twins, newly released by Aspire Press. And June, great to have you on the program. And it's wonderful to be with you again. Thank you. I I bet you weren't uh, expecting to be introduced by Frankie Lane, but that tune, just so apropos. I I, I wanted, I know, I I thought, oh, this is so perfect. This is fantastic. And it really uh, goes to the heart. I mean, as even in the opening lyrics there, you know, night and day you haunt me. And there is that sense oftentimes when, when jealousy and or envy get a root in one's spirit, they they can really torture and haunt somebody night and day, can't they? 
that impacts our spirit. Uh, it impacts all relationships where there is envy and jealousy, even though people at times don't know that there's any difference between those words. Somebody said that to me today. I, you know, I, I, I only know that they're the same thing. I said, no, no, they're different. But the point is, uh, no matter which it is, uh, there is an unsettledness within our spirit, and um, it, it's not a solution long-term for, e- for either of those emotions. Let's begin with some definitions here. For the benefit of the listeners, June, what is the principal difference between envy and jealousy? It's an important question. Um, envy is the feeling of resentfulness. I resent you because you have certain things that I don't have, and, and um, sometimes it's, to the, it's a, to the extent of wanting to deprive other people of what they have. In other words, envy is this angst over another, uh, I call them the four Ps, possessions, position, popularity, or power. Possessions, position, popularity, or power. So envy craves, I want what you have. I want to do what you do. I want to own what you own. Left unchecked, it can um, escalate to not just hatred, but even physical hostility toward the one who is successful. Now, jealousy is quite different. Jealousy is a fierce protectiveness over your own rights, your possessions, um, with a passion to vigilantly guard them. And jealousy can be resentment and suspicion when we think of this so classically, when somebody in your life is attracted to someone else, and all of a sudden there's this jealousy that, that comes up. But there's an easy way to think about the difference. I want you right now, can you cup your hands right now? Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cup your hands like you're holding, well, it's a bowl. It's a bowl. Envy is empty hands, hungry to be filled. Jealousy is full hands, fearing to be empty. Mm. So envy is a burning desire to get. Jealousy is a burning desire to keep. Said another way, it's craving when you're you have envy. You're craving what another person has, whereas with jealousy, it's clinging to what one has. And the focus of envy is on gaining. The focus of jealousy is on losing. And we could say it this way. Envy is fueled by a sense of entitlement. And if you think about our culture, there are a lot of people politically who feel entitled to have what other people have. And it's like, I, I am owed this. This, is, this should be mine. And, and it's just a, a wave of what's going on right now. Whereas jealousy can be fueled by a sense of, of retaining control. And uh, so we're, we're talking about envy being rooted in ambitious pride. Jealousy is rooted in anxious fear. 
And, and both have strong connotations of sin nature, don't they? I mean, for example, I, I'm reminded that as you talk about uh, about envy, there is such a strong undercurrent of covetousness to that, which Scripture clearly points out as sinful. Well, you've hit a huge issue. In fact, if you think about the, the question, are envy and jealousy always wrong, most people would just, come off the top, say, yes. Um, Envy is an expression of this self-centered pride, and it is the tenth of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so it's not to envy what someone else has. Jealousy, though, is different. Jealousy can be destructive or constructive. It can be godly or ungodly in this way. If you think of destructive jealousy, it's a possessiveness based on trying to control or possess what uh, you're you're trying to hold on to what you have, controlling. And it it can become a controlling person negatively. But constructive Jealousy is a loyal protectiveness based on a covenant relationship that you have with another person. Now, let me ask, are you married? No. Okay. Let's say one day you do get married, and then all of a sudden you see this other guy who comes uh, into your wife's life, and all of a sudden he is just charming and he has that kind of look. It's like you don't exist. He doesn't want you to exist because he's doing a make on your wife. Now, you should have a sense of protective... Um, it, it, it should, that should be a warning sign that it could literally impact your covenant relationship with your wife. And by the way, notice... Since you mentioned the Ten Commandments, there is godly jealousy in this. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 5, God calls himself a jealous God. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Oh, yeah, I was thinking the, the, the passage in Deuteronomy as well, Deuteronomy 4 and 23, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Mm-hmm. And so there is a right aspect of trying to protect a a sacred covenant relationship that is threatened. And so out of God's great love for us, he jealously guards his special relationship with us. That is why he calls himself a jealous God, because he's going to fight for you. He's going to try to do everything he can to protect you. For people that struggle trying to keep the difference delineated in their own minds. As you say, this can serve as a check. It can also serve as a stumbling block. What, in your opinion, with all of these thousands of calls that you've taken and in counseling people, the books that you've written, June, that touch on this topic, um, how do we help people better understand 
to address these two issues. I mean, a lot of it, in my mind, has got to go to also indicative of the nature of our relationship with very God himself. I mean, let's face it, both seem to also have sort of uh, aspects of either discontentment or, or dissatisfaction tied into them, which would lead me to wonder whether or not the person who has out-of-control envy or jealousy also perhaps is lacking in a solid relationship with the Lord. Do you think that's true? There's absolutely no question because the solution is presented in God's Word. Um, Now, what I'm saying is you may have a feeling of envy wanting so much what someone else has, just as someone could be so envious of you having a microphone, being able to have impact over a lot of people, and you can't help it if somebody else has those feelings. Um, but what we need to know is if we have envy, there is a solution, and we're given this um, by virtue of, as you have already indicated, it's dealing with our relationship with God himself, who is willing to provide all of our needs. He, in Philippians 4, the, the Word of God, and, and this is such an important passage, in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength. So the point is, you can desire what someone else has. If it turns to envy, it's like a green-eyed monster, and it will eat you up on the inside, and many times people want someone who is successful to die, want somebody to literally be killed want somebody, whatever it is, they want to eliminate the competition. So, you know, this is really sad. Now, when we look at, again, the scriptural solution, which you've, you've mentioned, First uh, Timothy 6, verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. One of the things I think is important is, what is our responsibility? Um, we can't make everyone change. We can't make anyone change. But we can change ourselves so that if you begin to just have, have something that somebody wants, uh, somebody else has, there's a point at which you can literally make a decision, I am going to go to war over my feelings of envy. And I'm going to turn my focus on what God says I'm to focus on. It's not what I receive, it's what I give. Uh, It's more blessed to give than receive. And so I think it's just helpful to say, okay, I, I, I want to have a pure heart before God. And I can tell you, every person I've talked to, there's not one person... When, when we really get into a discussion on this, who hasn't had a bout, a negative bout, with envy or jealousy. Uh, it can be a friend that you have. And, and I'm going to make this more of a female thing. It can be a male. But 
you know, okay, I have this friend, and, um, you know, love being with this wonderful person, iron sharpening iron, all the good things. That friend that you have, all of a sudden, there's another person, another friend that she has. So you think, well, wait a minute. Uh, why Why is she spending more and more time with that friend? And it's like this jealousy. I, I, I thought it was me, you know. And, and, and I can tell you, this is a struggle at times in friendship. I'm talking about among friends. And my thought, I remember my thought one time was, well, if I have a friend, then my, my friend, uh, I will say this way, my friend's friends uh, should be my friends, too. No, that doesn't work. Don't, don't make that assumption. You have to give up that. It may not ever be. If somebody can be caught up in envy that you have that friend, and then it gets messy, messy. But just, just literally say, Lord, I'm just totally putting my trust in you. I choose to be content regardless of what I have or don't have. And and my Lord God, he will fulfill my needs for love, significance, and security through his life lived within me. And here is the key, as you've really indicated, it's based on my contentment is, is based on my relationship with the Lord himself. And then more and more, I can be content even if I have the pain of a friend who departs. So, you know, sometimes mess, it's so messy that you lose a friend and, and you're going, what happened? I don't understand. But you've got to have your identity in your relationship with the Lord. But one, I want to say one last thing. I had a friend, Eleanor. She and I talked a lot of times about relationships early on in our, in our friendship. She's a, she's a forever friend of mine. And, she said something one time that was so profound to me. She said, I'm like a house. Catch this. I'm like a house. The bedroom does not take the place of the living room. The living room does not take the place of the bathroom. The bathroom doesn't take the place of the kitchen. The kitchen doesn't take the place of, and you can go on for other rooms. And you think, in other words, each one has its own distinction. Each one has its own value. So don't be so possessive to think, well, I have to have this friend, and that friend cannot have any other friends. No, we should. Look at Jesus. He had multiple people in his life that were incredibly meaningful. Peter, James, and John. He had Lazarus and and. Mary and Martha, they were all in the same family, you know, brother and two sisters. These were tender relationships, and we should be able to have healthy relationships where there is not envy and jealousy, where we value one another and thank God for what he has given as a gift through each individual relationship. This book takes a look at this issue of the terrible twins of 
envy and jealousy and their impact on one's own spiritual outlook, relationship with God, and relationships. The book is called Envy and Jealousy, Taming the Terrible Twins, published by Aspire Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through June's website at hopefortheheart.org. That's hopefortheheart.org. Our thanks to June Hunt, founder and president of Hope for the Heart, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, 536, let's get caught up here on traffic. The latest as we head back over to the KFAX Traffic Center and Nick Domenici. What's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, in season and out of season, welcome back to the program. Uh, that was supposed to be a clip off of an album that we're going to apparently listen to in a moment. <laughs> As we welcome into the studio tonight, singer, songwriter, musician, Richard Spremick. Richard, of course, is uh, the founder of the band Breath, Spirit, Life. And Richard, welcome. Thank you. And I apologize. It was all ready to go a moment ago there, but uh, sometimes the computers zig when they're supposed to zag. Well, that's right. We'll just pray over all the electronics in Jesus' name and move forward. There you go. Uh, We're going to give a listen to a cut off of the brand new album, Hearts Cry. And uh, this is now newly released, available through the usual suspects, Amazon, iTunes, and through your website, breathspiritlife.com. But roll us back for a moment. For listeners to say, hmm, the name kind of sounds familiar, you go back to music in the 1970s, you played with the band Malo. That's right. I was a founding member uh, drummer, and uh, I like to say during those days, um, music brought the worst out of me and uh, led the rock and roll lifestyle, hung out with Carlos Santana, all the, all the, you know, I was the boy drummer back in those days, one of the youngest. And uh, now it's interesting because I'm the gray beard, but the, uh, if my beard grew out. But uh, uh, playing for the Lord now. And, yeah, played all over, uh, um, like I said, uh, the rock and roll lifestyle. And it kind of brought me about 15, 20 years later to my knees. You know, I, I like to say I had a casual 25-year drug habit. And, um, and I always thought I could quit at any time. Well, uh, in 1993, I believe it was, that's when I found the Lord. I hit rock bottom, and coming out of that, the Lord was speaking to me about, uh, I want you to get back into music, and of course, hey, I own my own company. I don't want to, how do I do that? How do I support myself? And over the next 10 years, it kind of evolved, and then when I I had an accident that kept me out of work for five years, that's when the Breast Spirit Life Ministry slash band got serious was your shall we say descent into your own personal hell mm-hmm. was it an off the cliff experience or was it a slow steady march downward and i asked that question rich because so often people hear folks that are, are professional musicians and they're you're, you're 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 playing the gigs you're running the circuit you've got the influence of the fan base demands to create and be productive and perform, Mm -hmm. uh, the influence of everything from the record labels to the song pluggers to the drugs, that if they're not being taken for recreational purposes, they're being foisted upon you just because that's what everybody else is doing. 
And so that atmosphere tends to to kind of pull people into the vortex. Yes. And a downward spiral. What was it like for you? What what pulled you in? Well, it was fun at first, to be honest. You know, uh, to be 17, 18 years old, hanging around, hanging around with some of the best musicians in the world. And um, uh, so at the beginning, it was fun. But like a friend of mine wrote a song about it. He said, eventually, you know, the devil will want his due. And uh, about 20 years into it, it just got so intense that the cliff came. And I remember the um, manifestation of that cliff was I almost died from a uh, overdose. And I know there are family and friends that are probably hearing this for the first time, but it's, it's, it's part of my testimony. And when I got saved, though, not once, from the point where uh, I just cried out to Jesus, I saw myself, you know, I saw my spirit up. I was lying on a bed, heart just pounding. I said, hey, this isn't good. And I just said, Lord, I need your help, and I need it right now. I said, I surrender. You know, that was it. I got up. I went to a church about a week later, uh, gave my life to Christ about a month later, and never had a slip after that. And I suppose in retrospect, it was really the grace of God intervening that you didn't go any deeper in. I mean, we hear and read stories all the time, even big-name musicians, Jimi Hendrix, Michael Jackson, who end up being pulled into the vortex of drug use, either recreationally or, in the case of Jackson's case, I think to alleviate pain and to sleep, but nevertheless end up losing their lives because of the influence of drugs. Yeah, it's insidious. It starts. It doesn't start off that way, you know. But over over five, ten years. And then uh, you get to depend on it more. The demands come more. You start getting a little older. You know, you know I wasn't a coffee drinker back then, LOL. You know what I mean? So, um, and people are coming at you constantly. You know, it's, it's all three. I don't like to name them because everybody knows what they say, blap, blap, and rock and roll, because I don't want to glorify it at all. But it, it's an insidious trap. And then, then, you know, you spiral down and start affecting my business, I lost my business. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm like by myself, uh, no family, no nothing. But by the grace of God, and I believe it's because he had a, a, a plan and purpose. And when I give testimonies or talks at churches, I talk about, I don't believe God ever wanted me to take my music to the world. And I know people will call me churchy and stuff like that. But when I was playing with Chapito's band from uh, Santana after I got saved, I went up there with some tracks, and I and I asked him if he wanted to give his heart to the Lord. If you're doing that, I can see that. But other just kind of hanging out, having a couple drinks, and and and, and uh, uh, using your gift as God gave to you to glorify some of the songs that are out now. So so what I do now, I just I just want to glorify Him, and I use it for His plan and His purpose. And He said, "You never should have given it up." And the reason why I did is because I got married. And he said, you didn't believe I was going to provide for you. I said, well, not only didn't I believe it, everybody was telling me, you got a baby now, you got to give up playing music. So now I understand that if that's my Joseph journey, I just got to mm-hmm. relax, enjoy it. And I know as a lady, well, I don't, uh, maybe some people didn't hear her, but she was talking about that um, uh, you start off the journey and Paul was just passing through. Well, I believe Joseph's journey of 13 years if he were to try to circumvent that, he wouldn't have been prepared 
for what the end outcome was, which was saving the 12 tribes of Israel. So God essentially always has a plan, even in the midst of the turmoil of our life and making wrong choices and the enemy trying to lead us astray. Um, all things come together for good. Um, in, in your case, when you hit rock bottom, Richard, and, and began to look up, what was, the, what was the jumping off point for you? In other words, at the point at which you were at your most desperate, what made you turn toward God? Well, I was on my way to a uh, rehab, I guess, and um, I hadn't slept for two weeks. Good question. Uh, I don't want to start crying here. but So I remember getting out of the car. I used to fancy myself when I was younger as a good-looking guy. And I remember getting out of my car walking into that hospital and seeing, say, oh, wow, man, they got pretty nurses here. I'm just being real. But then I saw my image in, in, in the glass, and, man, I looked rough. You know, I, I just looked terrible. Beat up. Oh, yeah, more than that. I was just like, what happened? That's what I kept asking myself. What happened? How did I, a guy who loved his uh, uh, younger, uh, my girls are older now from that marriage, who loved them so much, is not around him anymore, who had this, doesn't have that. I had a, a, a back in uh, 1990, a home in San Carlos, California, you know, where it was $2 million homes now and stuff like How did I get all that? And, you know, it was uh, just uh, one step behind of the enemy going, okay, here you go in your self-effort, your self-plan, your self-motive. And then a friend of mine wrote a song. He said, There'll come a time when he just pulls that out from under you, and now what do you do? I didn't know Christ. I didn't know him at all. I didn't like church people. They were always telling me I was going to go to hell, you know. So, uh, uh, yeah, but then but I reached out to God. I felt a physical presence when I cried out. I didn't reach out to Jesus. I said, oh, God, help me. I don't want to die. I want to live and see my children grow up, and something happened. Uh, supernaturally, where that uh, saw the spirit, my me looking at myself, and that silver line for me, it was real. I don't know if I was hallucinating or what, but then it all just came back to me, and I, I made the right decision of um, uh, after that going to the hospital. I didn't go there. I went to the church. And when I went to the church, the uh, worship pastor there, Bob Hewitt, heard that I played Malo, and I you know, worked with B.B. Uh, King and all these people. And he said, hey, why don't you come play with me? And he kind of uh, took me under his arm, and the rest is history. I've been playing in the church ever since. Was the transition from one lifestyle to another a challenge? Yeah, it's it very humbling. When you consider the fame, the fortune, the names that you worked with, the shoulders that you rubbed up against, the fan <laughs> attention, I mean, all of that combined together – even setting aside the allure of the drugs, so much of that that can be so attractive to the flesh was surrendering that and turning toward Christ uh, a challenge. Was it a fight for you at times, battling the old man, the old flesh? Well, it still is. Yeah, for all of us, right? Yeah. But Paul yeah. say, chiefest among sinners. Yeah, yes. Yeah. But, but what I can do now is that I'm so familiar with him when I got hurt the first time in in, in, in 2000, and I started really doing deep. A friend of mine told me, why don't you read that Bible for yourself? So now, he said, and then always be open for correction, but ask God to show you things. Otherwise, you're getting the filter of, of man to it. So now I know that once I start slipping there, 
I'll say to myself, I'm not trusting him for something. And back then, all those safety nets were gone. And to, to put the rub on it, I was the one who kind of made it out of the neighborhood. And I could swear that there were many beside, outside of my family that liked that I had fallen, you know, that that kind of... Um, Reveled in your failure. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, the enemy chiefest amongst them. <laughs> so it's... it's uh, yeah, but, but glory be to God. Now now I just go, Lord, if something delays, like we tried to do this uh, a few weeks ago, I just go, God, I can't control what happens, but I can control my response to it. And, I'm, and the enemy is my enemy, and how I recognize that is not responding in the flesh, but speaking a word, and it's taken years for me to understand that. So now... If I start slipping back, if that makes sense, and going, oh, man, I want to fight in the flesh, I close my eyes and I can see myself swinging at air. As the Bible says, it's a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. In this pathway you've been on, this journey, um, you, of course, have left the old music behind you. You've been involved in full-time ministry now. Uh, tell us a bit about the founding of a Breath Spirit Life. How did that come to be? Well, I met a uh, mentor of mine. He was 78 years old and uh, just walked up to me one day and he said, uh, Augie Bijerano Jr., he said, one day God told me to tell you you're going to have music that goes out all over the world. And I said, well, that's interesting because I don't write music. So I thought, oh, this guy's crazy, right? So during the time of hurting my leg and all that time that I had to study the Bible, because I couldn't work, I started listening more and more to music, and I started playing again. The next thing you know, I came up, I felt the Lord telling me, I want you to go back in the Christian radio, and I'm going, Lord, I mean, this is what, 10, 12 years ago? I'm already a graveyard. Nobody, who's going to accept that? He says, that's how people will know my hands on you. So I started writing songs. The first album was called Damascus Experience, uh, going back and listening to it. Uh, the second album was called Sword of the Spirit, lifted up and started getting a lot of recognition um, into all f- facets of music. I've had songs in um, uh, smooth jazz, instrumentals. I've had songs on contemporary Christian, uh, gospel, southern gospel. You know, and of course, to me, gospel is just a good news. I'm waiting for today in the end times where it's just... Richard, how's your gospel music? Not it belongs here or there. I was talking to a good friend of mine at a sidebar the other day. I said, hey, I said, no one ever says to me you're a perfect fit. I said, so to me, that should be a good thing. But um, backtracking now, the, um, the Lord said, okay, just like I called Abraham, and now I get up you know, every morning with my wife. I've been doing this for years. I pray. I do word searches. So I talk to the Lord. And he said, I want to change the name to Breath Spirit Life. I said, no, no, no. I like Damascus Experience. I got a cool logo. It's a sword for the X, you know. He said, no, because you were Abram, but now you've, you've showed me I can trust you. This is what I felt he's telling me. I'm going to put Abraham. And when God gave Abraham the breath of God, he said, that's the difference between I'm looking at you in your flesh, and now can I trust you to go in the spirit? I said, okay. I was studying Ezekiel. And that's the, uh, uh, the uh, premise of the whole ministry, is that when we speak the words of God, it says, into the dry bones. So Lord said, anything dead, anything dead, that's not from me. It'll bring life. 
The problem is you have the faith to wait for it. And I didn't start off at that point, but over the years, that's been building, building, building. So my songs have contemporary rhythms. I call myself the Sly Stone of uh, Christian music. <laughs> but then the uh, lyrics, you know, you have not because you ask not. My heart's cry, and they're all about personal, most of them personal things that I went through with my family and myself. Did that original name, Damascus Experience, did that kind of, for you, in part, describe your own your own journey, your own coming to Christ? Well, good question. I guess it did. It did. I mean, you I think mean, of Paul who, who, who went from actively persecuting Christians to be the chiefest uh, of, of believers and, my goodness, penning probably two-thirds of the New Testament. Who would have thunk it, right? right. Um, and I wonder if there's a degree which um, in your season, your time involved in, in – the rock music scene and the kind of destruction that tends to sort of accompany uh, a lot of that, that there was a sense of having been a persecutor, maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally, a Hmm. persecutor, and having gone from that to this incredible experience, Paul lost his sight for a time, as we know. Uh, You had lost your way and hit rock bottom. The Lord Hmm. pulled you out of that. Now, suddenly, instead of doing music that glorifies the enemy, you're doing music that glorifies the God of the universe. There seems to be some parallels there, no? Wow, that's another good question. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for years, I didn't want to even mention I had played in Malo because I left such a trail of destruction, personal and in other people's lives. I mean, I was one of the worst of the worst. I grew up without a dad. I I wanted to prove that. I was rejected. all during high school for whatever reason, but the minute I started playing drums, people would accept me, so I didn't, I was resentful towards that. But then, um, so I didn't want to even be known. Then a buddy of mine in the ministry, uh, uh, Eloy, he said, Richard, God wants you to know that, that don't be afraid to say that the same sword that the devil tried to slay you with, music, now God is bringing uh, people to him and to life. So the evangelistic, the proof of that, or not the proof, the fruit, is that from the evangelistic part, uh, the music's been played through different internet sites and stuff all over the world, and mainly unsaved are the ones who will get a hold of me. And the interesting thing is I have a song called Holy Ghost Dance, which I wrote for my girls as kind of a fun song years ago. It's got a funk tower power vibe. I get this email from England, this guy's going, I don't usually listen to your guys' kind of music. My guys kind of, what do you mean? You know, you Christian guys. He says, but I like this song. And I'm thinking of all the songs he picks. Why? Because it's got a rhythm first. There's horn uh, uh, worshiping, I call it. world calls it solo. At the end, funky bass line, and that brought him in. Then he's going, hey, holy, you know, so. It's amazing the, the power of music yeah. uh, to, to not only certainly entertain but also to influence our hearts and our minds. With me today in studio is Richard Spremick. Richard, by the way, is the leader of Breath, Spirit, and Life Band, brand new album out um, that is newly released, available through iTunes, Amazon, and through um, the band's website, Breath, Spirit, Life. The album is called Hearts Cry, and uh, we're going to, if all goes well, we'll give a listen to some of it. Coming up right after we give a listen to an update on traffic. And Nick Domenici, he's got that for us from the KFAX Traffic Center. Nick? 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.